Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Mindful Grooving. I am point five of your host, Brittany Harlan. I am the other point five hosts. Is uh, Sarah Maslanka here, and um, together we make one. <laughs> yep, together we make one mindful grooving. Um, so today we have a very special guest and a beautiful friend. She is an educator and dancer, an all-around badass, a new mom, someone who puts on very bomb like board game parties. I learn Ooh. a lot. <laughs> learn a lot every time. Um, but you know, also a leader in her community. We'll get into a little bit later. Um, but I want everybody to, in your bedrooms, laying down or on the couch, give a round of applause for Miss Cheryl Okuda. Yay! <laughs> Hi! Hello! All right, we Welcome. talked a little bit off uh off recording but how are how are you doing today for the people how's it going how's life i am doing great good 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 um yeah i'm just really grateful that you guys reached out to me i'm super happy to be here i'm excited to share love what you guys are sharing with everyone else so i'm happy to be a part of this Thank you for being you. with us. Um, so what we usually get into first is a little bit of an origin story. So, you know, out of every single thing in the world from, you know, birth from now, what do you want to talk to us about and how, how did, how did you get to sitting with us today? Oh my goodness. Oh. Yeah. Just tell your whole life story in 30 seconds. All right, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> here it goes um well i think um i'll start with just my origin of being a dancer i was a dancer mm. for ever basically um and my love of dance led me down a path to um pursuing it in college and then pursuing it within a hip-hop company in chicago and that's where i encountered miss Brittany harlan um and i think my love of dance also you know expanded to me teaching dance to children so that connection uh made me realize I wanted to be an educator um, as a career. So instead of pursuing the dance life and pursuing a professional dance career, I switched gears and decided I'd become a preschool teacher instead. So through my you know, secondary education and all the professional development that I've you know, been gravitating towards over my you know, career, social-emotional development with children and how it relates to art, specifically dance and music, um, 
that's sort of my groove. That's my jam. That's what I like to really spread um, to anyone who will listen. Uh, thanks, guys. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I guess that's sort of a very short, uh, precise way of coming to this show. So here I am. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you so much. I not to jump right into social emotional learning, but also to jump right into social emotional <laughs> learning. Did you get any form of this when you were in, you know, primary school? When you're coming up, what was what was your take on what you got as far as social emotional learning? Um, practically non-existent because <laughs> <laughs> Catholic school. Where, um, Catholic. Okay, you went to Catholic school. Yeah, I'm I'm shocked. Uh, There's no social emotional learning. Yeah. Well, yeah. I did not go to Catholic school and I did not have any social emotional learning um, in public school either. So yeah, it was, it was a trend of our time, but let's back it up um, since it's, it is self-explanatory social emotional learning, but Cheryl, do you want to expand for the people about what, what it actually means in a teaching context? Absolutely. So Um, For people that maybe this is the first time they're hearing these terms, there's sort of an academic side, obviously, to education, which is where I would classify, you know, letters, numbers, you know, all, all of your subjects. And then there is social emotional learning, which is more focused on emotions, problem solving, empathy, identity. Um, there's sort of all these subtopics that really actually, um, you know, are way more important to focus on <laughs> throughout your entire life. Uh, and then um, what we do as educators is promote, obviously, a positive sense of self. But through doing that and with an age-appropriate uh mindset, you are building skills for children to be able to exist in the world without um, causing havoc within their lives. <laughs> <laughs> uh, havoc is the word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm a, I'm a woman of a certain age on Instagram from time to time. So of course, there's all this like, um, they're feeding me like, how do I know what they're a narcissist? I'm like, oh, well, Okay, if according to Instagram, every single person on this earth is a narcissist. But <laughs> one of the things that kind of go over into the actual research behind like what the personality disorder, whatever you want to call it, is, is that they don't have a sense of self. And so it's not this person like beating on their chest, taking down a door and saying, like, I'm the shit. They're saying, like, I don't even know who I am if I don't have this external thing, that external thing, that external thing. And, you know, it would be super wonderful if we could learn in preschool in first and second grade. It's like, no, you're the thing. Mm. You're the thing. (laughs) It's your, like, it is your world. And we're all like, you gotta like, in whatever way you're going to say it, whatever way you're going to deliver it. But it's like, yeah, this sense of self thing, this self-awareness thing. I'm I'm ready for it to become mainstream, Cheryl. How do we do it? How do yes. we how do we do some social emotional learning for the adults? Yes. Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think what's really important for people to understand too is exactly kind of what you were bringing up. 
is everybody wants children. They want every child to be nice. They right. want them to be kind. They want them to treat everyone, you know, with respect, especially, you know, when you think of current events and I always have parents and adults wondering, well, how do I get my child through these times? And no matter what, they have to feel good within their own self and their own idea of who they are. And just mm -hmm. because they're two or three or, you know, eight or nine does not mean they cannot do that. So I think fundamentally at the root of social emotional learning is children being, you know, comfortable with themselves, having a strong sense of self and also having adults around them that believe they are capable of that at a young age. Um, yeah. So that's sort of like the foundation that I think a lot of people miss because when they hear those words, social and emotional, they think friendships and, you know, managing their tantrums. Yeah. And while yes, that can be a byproduct of the, you know, intentions we have as educators, it's, it should not be the focus. It's gotta mm. be about self and, you know, even in our generation, we're talking about our own self-care as adults. Imagine a generation where that was already instilled at a young mm. age. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That sounds, uh, could you imagine being in that generation and everybody had that, that uh, internal awareness already kind of instilled in them as kids? Right. Like, but with the teaching part of it, like, because we're, you know, we're, we're adults and we plan to engage with children, whether they're our family or if we go back into education or whatever it is, but, you know, as teachers, just as adults around small people, there's this automatic urge to be like, let's hurry up over here and like, let's get you here. And it's like, mm. how do we instill autonomy in people that we need, that we are fully responsible for their lives? And it's like, we do have to like, at the end of the day, make a decision on their behalf. Yeah. I, I also think too, with almost like that idea of rushing, right. You know, mm -hmm. that there's this also idea that adults are rushing children to be more convenient mm -hmm. for adults that are yeah. around them. Yeah. So we're rushing this process for children, but we're also rushing them towards sort of an end game that's for the adults. Convenience. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's like <laughs> funny. Emotion, so I don't hear you in a grocery store freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, as a, as a dog mom, um, <laughs> I feel like I see this a lot too with people, other dog owners is trying to make their experience way more convenient. So I, I like that. Um, I mean, that's significant. Yeah. It's, it's all to our convenience so that they can be, I don't know. I want to say, I want to find another word for neutralized, but it's like how making them behave a certain way like Cheryl, in like, public and whatnot. Yeah. You got me together. Cause like, even the way that I was framing the question, it's like, there has to whenever I'm concerned or thinking about how to do the, the teaching thing, right. It always comes from a place of like, it's, it's my, I don't know, like what I say is the end. And it's like, it always comes back to that, uh, the patterns of how we were instructed and how we were brought up or it's like, you do it because they said to do it. And it's like, Oh, that's not going to work all the time. Yeah. 
slash ever for, you know, certain groups of kids, certain ages of kids, but it's like, but then it's also like, why do we want it? Why do we want that to be the end? Like, why do we, how do we empower autonomy and be like, look, if you want to call me out on something, like, let's do that. But then also, I don't know, raising people. Hmm. There's just like such a, (laughs) there's just such a responsibility that it's like, we've, I think we've all been doing it since we were so young and we didn't, we didn't think twice about like the implications, but it's like, as we get older, it's like, yeah. How do we, um, how do we check ourselves? Like what's, what's something that you ask yourself when you're checking in as a teacher or even a mom now it's like, all right, is it the situation or is it just me? <laughs> like, do I need to check myself or is this actually what needs to be happening? That's really a great question. Um, I think myself and probably a lot of like-minded educators um, where, you know, my background is in progressive education. So that social emotional piece is the forefront. Um, We're not really as focused on academics as like a traditional uh, curriculum or um, just a traditional school would be. So for progressive educators, we're constantly thinking about this and a big piece is reflection. And it could just be me, but I feel like a lot of teachers I talk to agree with me. Most of the time it's us. (laughs) never assume it's the child always assume it's something change something you could have done differently and nine times out of ten you'll find a way to either repair some situation connect better with a child or improve an interaction um yeah it's changing that whole conversation about why is this child like this to what Mm -hmm. am I not meeting for that child? Um, There's there's gotta be something I could be doing better or differently. And then when you have exhausted all of that, (laughs) then you start, I think that's a, a starting point for me anyways, with a child where it's like, they might need more support than just me. Yeah, there's probably something else they need that I am not either qualified for or um, something beyond just the teacher. Uh, But still, it's not their fault. It's (laughs) something different. Um, It's the mind frame of like, we're here for them. They don't need to be doing something just because of me. Like I have to find a way to get to connect. Yeah. So as progressive educators, people who are aspiring to be, but say that they are often placed in a a very oppressive all around system of education. What is the, what's been your framework to kind of push the needle or to question um, further and further out the systems that you're participating in? my goodness (laughs) (laughs) which brings us to Um, it's it's hard I've worked in a few different settings um (laughs) so I've been in various degrees of um feeling supported or not supported um as Mm. an educator uh and I don't know that this is the best piece of advice um but I just do what I think is right (laughs) even if that means 
disagreeing with what's established already in um, the school. <laughs> kind of a rule breaker. <laughs> <laughs> and your and students I love you for it. Um, your students love you for it. I seen it. <laughs> and I guess just to give more context, when are you are you going into schools as like um, a teaching artist doing a residency or is oh like Cheryl's a, a main she's a main teacher a main she's teacher taught dance class all damn day um, she's in there <laughs> okay so you're you're part of the part a part of the school yeah because okay. with teaching artists mm-hmm. you can get away with so right. much more of like why do we have to do that like i don't have to answer to yeah. you beyond 10 weeks from now and it's kind of like that energy even or it might be you know not as you know involved because they don't know who their principals or main teachers or they don't have a rosters of a, a roster of parent numbers but um so yeah, you yeah. have that more of that that traditional relationship as your classroom. You have that roster. You have your I don't know if you grade your students or not, but you're in that quote quote unquote traditional context of the of a classroom. Yeah, it's uh, yes, and and there are like assessments that you do, and sometimes you don't agree with those either. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think to enter education now um especially with how absolutely difficult it of a field it has become um for so many reasons especially for progressive educators um i commend anyone that is you know still pursuing this to this day because i think it was even so different when i began so about seven eight years ago um teaching and in that short frame of time <laughs> seems short but it's also so much has happened um you have to have already going in a very strong sense of integrity Um, yeah absolutely like like to the point where you will die on a hill if it means helping one child for whatever the case is that you feel very strongly about um because i have done that i have gone to battle for children (laughs) And it is exhausting. It is very mentally exhausting. Um, So I think for um, educators going into this work and with social emotional development at, you know, as the priority, that's like your, your, your brain, your mind has to be so ready for that. Yeah. It's, because it's not accepted. Or um, if you're in early childhood specifically, a lot of it overlooked because they're so young. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask like, um, then how in the topic of like burnout, you know, how do you keep, make this a sustainable career profession for yourself? Because, you know, education, being a teacher is exhausting. You know, my mom is nearing retirement and she just calls me all the time and it's it has nothing to do with the kids because it's she loves the kids but it's like all the behind the scenes politics and like you said the integrity of having to go to battle for these kids and um that's what that's what's putting the stress on her so how how do you manage manage that the, the stress how do you keep your integrity strong how do you prevent burnout in this profession Oh man, managing the stress. 
Finding a really good support system. Um, teacher friends are everything uh, yes. because they're the ones that get it the best. Um, having close friends in general, obviously, is great and wonderful. But even like with my husband, I can vent to him and he he knows the kids as if he sees them <laughs> every day. Um, and it's still not having um you know, teacher friends that are going through it with you. Um, they were very helpful. Um, I've, you know, I was referencing my, my good teacher friend, Amber, she and I literally met each other at the best time possible because we got each other through a lot of those like child battles that I can mention. (laughs) We helped each other a lot through those, um, and happy hours are very nice yes. too. <laughs> those yes. are, and those are key. Um, key. Yes. Could you? Um, those are very great. Um, <laughs> but also just having to like a creative outlet, I think is very important. And it's why I love passing that on to children or just letting them know that that's an option. Um, having that creative outlet is very, very helpful. Um, Cause I was still dancing up until like my, like one of the last years that I was still in a school, um, a school setting. So I was still performing, rehearsing. Um, I was still choreographing for my, the kids I teach for in, you know, studios, having something completely separate to be able to like, really put some effort into and some creative thought into is um, I know that helped me a lot personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's, it's hard. It's really, really hard, but it's, I mean, it's anybody, any teacher can say how rewarding this work is of course. for every, you know, one negative experience, you get like 500 adorable, wonderful, right. awesome experiences, but um, right. Yeah, it's you definitely need to find what works for you. And you guys sort of spread that message of like knowing yourself and what you need. And I feel like that's really important as that's such important work as a teacher, like knowing what you need so that you can process and cope and then go back and be recharged for your kids is like a a priority, I think, Mm -hmm. when you become an educator. Yeah. yeah. So do you mind speaking on where you are in your educator journey right now? Yes. Uh, so right now, um, I've stepped away from the classroom uh, since having my baby. What, um, what I will say is I was definitely experiencing some burnout. It was it, COVID completely changed everything especially when it came to early childhood I know even down to like infant rooms like the way you teach is not at all the way we were teaching before um Mm. and that was very draining uh and you know you're in it when it's happening right Mm. pandemic's happening your kids are in lockdown you're trying so hard to be Mm entertaining and still fulfilling your job and maintaining that connection and you don't realize how much it's weighing on you like it's draining you and then you go back to school post pandemic has already happened and (laughs) the safety measures the the lack of safety measures the kids wearing masks everything again you're just in it so you're doing it every day 
still trying to give them the best experience and you're not realizing how much it's affecting you. You're not able to do everything the way you want to. You're not, you're still having to meet expectations that Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. Yeah. You're just trying to hold it down in general. And then here they come, whatever else. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, Sorry, continue. I don't mean to cut you off. Oh, I was just going to say it was just a good timing for me to um, start a family, even though mm-hmm. it had nothing to do with COVID whatsoever. But it lined up really well for me to be able to take time away because I was not I was not loving teaching anymore. Um, yeah. It just, that's sort of where, you know, to come back to your question, that's sort of where I am is rekindling my love for teaching again because I yeah. really did not like it anymore. And I don't yeah. think anyone should feel guilty if they don't like what they're doing. No. Um, even if it's something you really feel a strong calling to, like, you know, I felt, I feel like just taking the time away that you need when you need it so that you don't completely leave it and hate it forever like yes absolutely. i know i'm meant to be a teacher but i needed to not absolutely a minute. <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah kind of re- rekindle your flame with it can you could you talk about pokuda i would love to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh pokuda is the name for myself and my teacher or friend. Um, that is what we named our classroom when we were together. Um, it was a very special time, you know, when you meet somebody in your life and you think, huh, they're pretty cool. And then you realize, wait, I really want to be their friend too, not just their coworker. <laughs> um, and so we both pretty much, uh, lined up on a lot of values. A lot of our uh, philosophies of teaching happened to be very similar. And we knew that we wanted to do something else to um, kind of share what we connected about because uh, we were only able to teach together for one year. So, you know, we were still in the same building, but we weren't able to like do the work that we were so happy to be doing when we were together. So Pokuda is an organization we formed to spread um, just tools, strategies, again, our values and philosophies around social emotional learning. Uh, we feel very strongly that it is the priority in early childhood. Um, your children will learn to read and write, I promise. Um, but that is not <laughs> the priority. And um, we also strongly um, uh, want to push more anti-racist curriculum, um, specifically in early childhood, but beyond as well. Um, I don't think people realize how um, early some things can begin. Uh, in school and you know whether you have your own stories from when you were young and you remember feeling othered in some way no matter what that marginalized group could be um, or you when you're a teacher you see it and then you see other educators not do anything about it Mm. or you see other educators make excuses for it um that to me like really lit a fire inside me and also my friend and we wanted to make sure that other early childhood educators know that anti-racism starts at birth 
It does not start mm -hmm. when they learn to talk. It does not start when they learn to read and write. It's <laughs> much yeah. earlier. Um, yeah. So yeah, okay, we see. feel so strongly about it. Yeah. No, I was just gonna say that the starting at birth is such a word because uh, there's an archetype of of adult, I believe, that um, let's say it's like the 25 to 35 range, right? This has just been my experience where um, all through their life, they've had kind of racial programming put inside them, but you know, their, their heart sustained, right? But, but they didn't go to college with a black person and you know, they didn't go to school with a black person until college, you know? So mm -hmm. it's like that, that, um, that cognitive dissonance of like, oh, me on my own, like, I'm fine. I'm not racist. It's like, it's, it's like even that term anymore, like, I'm not racist is, um, what is it? Moot. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> there's, there's a whole, like, lifetime of programming in a, in a, extremely racialized environment no matter where you are this is just this world and so in order to to do the anti-racist work um and it's just me i feel like you have to acknowledge like even if you've been down been black and brown all of that it's like there's this lifetime of of programming that happened on autopilot until you decided to intentionally decide to be anti-racist. Um, mm -hmm. So Cheryl, I wanted to, what's your definition that you give in your organization to even your children on what, what it means to be anti-racist? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, wow, so much that you shared is like just <laughs> resonating and... <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so when it comes to, you know, anti-racism, in early childhood and when we want to share this message with our children and their parents as well. Um, mm. I think it's important uh, I, I, not to steer it away from what we say to children, but just for a second mm -hmm. to focus on parents. Parents are so scared of this, right, yeah. even if they want it, they are yeah. scared of it. Um, and that's okay. Like that's uh, one of the reasons why we felt like creating Pokuda was so important is the the fear shouldn't hold you back from you know kind of diving into this work um, we want mm -hmm. children to know i think there's a uh, a quote that goes around quite frequently like if my child is old enough to experience it then your child should be old enough to know how to deal with it and identify yes. so for me of course that is the message I share to the children as well, because I have worked in predominantly um, white schools. Um, I have made sure they, you know, that's the message we always want to share is like, okay, just because there's nobody that looks like that in this room doesn't mean they don't exist in the world and right. don't you don't ever feel like you're going to encounter this. Like mm. you have to know that these people are real. Like those people you see on the news, those people you see on the street, they are people that deserve, you know, the, the great treatment that you give to your friends in your class that happen to look like you. Um, mm -hmm. So there's that message of, you know, 
people want diversity and their children to know what diversity is. <laughs> Cheryl's undulating as she's saying yeah. diversity. <laughs> like, oh, I have to hear diversity, equity, and inclusion ever again. And Girl, DEI out the wazoo in <laughs> Those buzzwords, oh, mm. what they mean. Yes. Um, I think, uh, yeah, people need to understand. And um, what's what we want our children to understand is this is work that's that needs to be just ingrained in us Mm -hmm. from a young age from birth. Like I said, it's just something it shouldn't be viewed as something extra. It should not be viewed as Oh, we're going to do this one little activity a day type Mm -hmm. situation. It is something that needs to be done constantly and embedded constantly one because it is easy to do easier than you think um but it also requires like an immense amount of work on the educator Mm -hmm. um and that's again another reason why we feel like pokuda and organizations like it need to exist um educators don't realize you can't just make your kids do that work you have to do work yourself first yes (laughs) continue and then also you know embed these ideas into your you know daily classroom life as well sorry i have no idea where i went from the question no no i'm following you what happened you i'm following (laughs) you because there's this oh keep going no go ahead go ahead Brittany. i think there's a slight delay that's why on my end keep, keep going so I was just saying it's like, and a part of the whole like DEI, you know, school brochure tokenism of it all. It's like, do not expect the black and brown person to be the DEI expert by nature of them living. Yeah. They don't know. They don't know what's wrong with you. Why you can't figure it out. (laughs) It's like, that's a whole other topic. And it's like, and it's a whole other ask of emotional labor to be able to do it in the first place. And I'm seeing people fall into these positions, you know, that I interact with in their corporate settings, gladly being both the marginalized person and the educator Mm. to these people, to these groups, to these establishments on what it is they're supposed to do. And I think, you know, I don't know where that origin comes from. I don't know where that comes from, but it's like, we need time to do the work within ourselves to where anti us worked, where we internalize that anti us. And so it's like, if I, you know, I remember going to elementary school and I had a, a teacher who basically like, I don't know why in the world she was telling us this, but she was talking about, she got like laser hair remover on her face. Cause basically it was just like saying something about her Italian heritage and basically saying something about what happens with her as this part of a culture is wrong, is not feminine. So she had it fixed. Mm. And it's like, I ain't Italian, but I imagine little Italian girls internalize that, you know? And it's like, we, we have to be given the time to work on ourselves as we're entering these spaces, especially in spaces with children. And it's like, I wonder if that's even being factored in, you know, I think there's so much like consultant is also a buzz name, you know, it's like we need, we need a DI, DI what is it? DI consultant. Yeah. Yeah. We need someone to just come in, no strings attached and like, 
slap our wrists basically with a PowerPoint and then dip so that we don't feel too guilty. And I feel like this, uh, this is all, this work is all revolving to me and tiptoeing around guilt. Mm. And so that, so that makes guilt the center. And so I'm wondering if you have any, any thoughts on how to take the, the guilt from people who are doing the marginalizing or the history of it, how to take that guilt from the center and what to replace it with. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think you're, your question is very relevant nowadays with, you know, people throwing around, you know, critical race theory. And I don't want to go mm. off on that kind of a tangent. <laughs> that's sort of where that, you know, is like the guilt. We don't want our kids to feel guilty. <laughs> like, um, yeah. but we, then there's also the other <laughs> side of it where it's like, yeah, but these we want our kids to yeah. fucking live, you know, yeah. every day in it. So, yeah. you know, um, yeah, so I think for me, when um, I was actively practicing, and, and by no means was I and am I an expert, but this is active work that you got to do for the rest of your life, right? When you decide you're going to actually um, address this within yourself, and then when you, um, you know, become an educator and want to do that as well, it's just going to be constant. So you're, there's no yeah. end goal here with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for, for me, and then also for my partner in Pokuda, we really do focus on identity like Mm. let's start with making sure these kids feel good about who they are and then it is a beautiful segue into making sure they know that the person next to them feels good about who they are so you should you know amp that up let's feel good about them too they don't have to feel the same way as you do about all the stuff you have in your identity but you can still feel good about them and you can still make sure they feel good about themselves too. So Let's like, workshop that for the yeah. adults. Shall yeah. we, how do we approach each other when on the, on the off chance that we do not have the exact same thoughts and feelings and beliefs? It's like, what would you say is a one off one Oh one? Like how do, if you were, if you were maybe to teach a child, this it's like, how do you keep it going? Um, how do you keep relating to someone who doesn't share the exact same beliefs as you? How do you keep, how do you keep that going? How do you sustain that relationship? Um, well, when I work with preschoolers, um, I've, I've been primarily with preschool my whole teaching career. It's Mm -hmm. literally a like visual representation in the classroom from day one. We literally created an identity chart. What hmm. is the identity? What what four-year-old, three-year-old is even going to know what that is? So right. you have to explain it to them. And the best way is like we drew pictures. Like this is how you choose to identify as this, as a sister, as a daughter. Mm. As a, you are, you belong in Chicago. You have family from this place over here. You eat this kind of food. You celebrate these holidays. Like you literally break it down for like a child to understand. Those are special to me. And you also separate, hey, just because most people around me also do that thing. Cause like I've, you know, said, I primarily worked with ch- uh, white children. 
Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that's what is everyone's identity. That is not normal. Mm-hmm. And that is not superior to anyone else. So mm-hmm. we start embedding that literally from day one in my classroom. And then we branch into what does empathy mean? Oh, empathy means that you care about how someone else feels about all those things we just talked about. If they're mm-hmm. feeling bad or happy or whatever it is, you can feel that for them and you understand what that feels like for you and you know you it's literally these big charts that i have in my classroom and we constantly reference when we read a story when you're playing a game when you're you know playing make-believe in you know our little dramatic play area you constantly bring it up because that's what the work feels like when you are an adult is you're constantly bringing stuff up you're constantly facing stuff about yourself, whether it's comfortable or not. And you want to make sure that the kids are building these skills and this foundation of these ideas without that icky feeling that we kind of gain as adults when we're talking Mm -hmm. about it, right? Like you want them Mm -hmm. to be really open with these ideas so that, again, that the whole goal is so that they can carry this with them through their life. So I think literally just in your face visualization (laughs) was the way to go. And it seemed to really work with the classes that I've had in the past. So for our, oh, were you going to say something, Sarah? I was just going to add, I just wanted to go back to the parents really quick, because I don't think we ever, like, how do you, you said that they have a little bit of fear or a little maybe apprehension towards this work. So how do you loop them into this process so that you are making sure that whatever they're learning at home that is continuing or excuse me, in school in your classroom is also being um, practiced at home and worked with them at home. So how do you, how do you make the parents feel a little bit more comfortable about the work or invest? Yeah, I think, I've been fortunate enough to work in sites that have some sort of required communication with parents. Mm -hmm. So whatever that is, if it's email, if it's, you know, you hang stuff on a bulletin board, um, there is some form of communication direct with parents. Um, So in my background, in my, you know, education to become a teacher, documentation was a huge piece. Um, and not to go too far into that, but just authentically capturing what your child is doing in school. So that's mm-hmm. pretty much like the, the quick version of that. So if I can share with parents what their child is doing and why that's important and explain it to them, I always find like that's really successful to get parents either on board or to have a better understanding. If they can see, oh, my kid is playing, that only takes them so far. If I sit, right. tell them, oh, your kid is playing, but they're also exploring these ideas, and then they said this, which tells me they're thinking about this. So mm. there's a little bit more depth to what their child is doing. They can kind of carry that home. Whenever I encountered something that I felt like, oh, if that kid goes home and tries to explain that, it might seem problematic. I would always send an email like <laughs> talked about this thing today. They might, are they're still, you know, figuring out what that means. So if it comes home, here's the language that I've been using surrounding this topic mm. so that you can. And honestly, when you have really good relationships with your parents, even the parents that you think 
they don't care what you say or what you do. <laughs> if you have a really open line of communication about their child, most often they will receive it. Now, if they do it at home is always maybe, we don't know. Yeah. Um, but I think that at least the message was getting to them, you know, that yeah. it was being received. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. I love this. I feel like we're in educator therapy right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so for, you know, we've, we've been doing them on and off when we have guests, but I think t- today for, for us, it would be great to get back into our mindful grooves. And that's when um, our guest of honor shares how they mindfully navigate um, what it is that they do or what it is that they're, what kind of space that they're trying to remain in. So Cheryl, you can share with us what your mindful groove is and we'll just be along for the ride. Awesome. Okay. Well, for my mindful groove that I'll be sharing, um, this is something that I would do with the children in my classroom. So bear in mind when doing this with children, you know, the language is going to be geared toward younger kids. I primarily worked with three to five year olds. Um, But essentially at the root of the activities, whatever they were, um, what it looks like for adults is literally the same for children, right? Like when you're in those mindfulness activities, you want to be building self-awareness, being present in the moment. So in a child's mind, in a child's body, they're being really present to understanding what they're feeling and that then turns into a practice of identifying emotion, turns into a practice of how do I process this emotion and then how do I express it in a healthy way. So for my mindful groove, I'll be sharing a little uh, mindfulness activity I would do if the kids were feeling a little tense or a little, as adults would say, hyperactive. Um, but <laughs> as educators, we know that could mean a million different things for each individual child. So um, if you want to imagine you're you know, in your little preschool classroom and you turn the lights down, try to remove as much outside external stimulus as possible. Um, and I would have the kids lay on the rug or find a place where you know, their bodies can be away from their neighbor. Um, and then I would tell them, this is also something, you know, just closing your eyes as a child is a skill in and of itself. So prior to doing a full mindfulness activity, we would have practiced knowing what to do with your body when you are about to be mindful in preschool. So that means literally practicing laying on the floor and closing your eyes. So if you're listening, I'm going to move forward with this, but know that there's a little bit of prep work if you would like to try this with your child at home or any students you have. Um, But I would, you know, tell them all, take a deep breath in, and out and we're going to close our eyes and we're going to try really hard to see how still we can keep our body and then take another deep breath in and out and if you want you can put your hand on your tummy and that's how you can check how deep of a breath you're taking if your hand gets really far away from you so let's try one more with your hand on your tummy in and out and maybe you felt your hand move even more that time 
And with your eyes closed, remember, you're going to have to remind them a few times. Notice how your feet feel. Maybe you might want to wiggle your toes a little in your shoes. And then imagine that your feet are lighting up as you wiggle them. These sort of mind-body connections are super tricky for kids, so giving them enough time to do this is going to feel uncomfortable at first, but giving them time to wiggle and then squeeze the muscles in your feet super tight like you're holding onto that light as hard as you can and then let them go. Your feet might feel kind of funny after this. Let's try it one more time. See if you can squeeze those muscles in your feet like that light is super bright and then let it go. And take another deep breath in and out. And now we can try it maybe with our hands this time. Wiggle your fingers. If it's still on your tummy, maybe move your hand next to you and wiggle those fingers. They've been hard at work all day playing. Give them a little bit of a stretch. And now imagine that now your fingers are lighting up and squeeze them as tight as you can. Squeeze them, squeeze them, squeeze them and let them go. Ooh, my fingers feel kind of funny now. Maybe yours do too. And we'll try it once more. Squeeze those hands, squeeze those fingers as tight as you can. And relax. You might have to remind your little friends that this mindfulness activity also might make them laugh. So trying to make sure that prep work is done, that they have to try to stay as quiet as possible. And then when we feel super relaxed, we might be noticing our feet and our hands feel a little different now. But we're going to take one more big breath, and that's going to help us to open our eyes. So one more big breath in and out. And then we can start opening our eyes. Our eyes might feel a little funny now. They were closed. And now when we open our eyes, we might feel like we have a hard time seeing. So let's give ourselves a second so that we can see again. And then we can sit up. And then this is also a great way to kind of bring the attention back to maybe you're trying to get them ready for a transition or something new in the schedule. And now they feel like a little bit more aware, a little more in control of their bodies, hopefully. Um, and this was a great one I used to do with different parts of the body as well. So there's my little mindful groove for little mindful groovers. Yay! <laughs> oh, yay. Thank you. I love it. I like yes. to get I like to get the Miss Cheryl experience. I always yes. hear about it. So it was nice to be on on a little cot in your classroom for yes. 30 seconds. I felt <laughs> like I was a three-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. And I like the I mean also like the, the little cues. What are you just saying? of being a preschool teacher is feeling like you're three again yes, <laughs> yes. yes. but i love Absolutely. those cues i love those cues for the kids to just like uh, to get them into being in the zone to do a, a mindfulness exercise and those little cues about okay maybe your feet will feel funny or you know this might make you giggle like 
I think it's just so important to to bring it in so they can still be a kid and and have their kid experience, but then they get the benefit of being mindful and taking a moment to breathe and check in with themselves. Love it. Yes. So we have reached the end of mindful giving for today, but Cheryl, we just want to thank you so much for coming in, blessing us with your energy and knowledge. Um, I know a lot of people are going to benefit from hearing you. So if, um, and when the people want to find out more about what you're doing and your education initiatives, where can we find you and Pokuda and anything else you want us to know about? Oh, thanks so much for having me. This was so fun. And I appreciate you guys just welcoming me into your uh, podcast and your community. Um, Pokuda is on Instagram currently, and um, we are actually in submission season. So we're submitting to be a part of some virtual conferences. Um, so we will be sharing which one of those we will be attending this season. And then myself personally, I am on uh, Instagram as well. Uh, small Voices, Big Ideas is my educator account. And I also have a website, uh, smallvoicesbigideas.com. And I am starting to offer early learner lessons online uh, with a focus in pretty much anything early childhood, but I uh, specialize in social emotional development. So if anybody's interested in getting a little support for their young ones, I am here. Amazing. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful rest of your day. And until next time. Thank you, you, Cheryl. is an Agoon Artist Collective production hosted by Brittany Harlan and Sarah Meslinka. Music by Kenneth Lethridge and Mateo Mendoza. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Mindful Grooving. Check out the show notes to click the link and leave us a voice message. Until next time. Goodbye!